Today on the unofficial Shopify podcast, we're talking to Megan Amon, who is a jewelry designer, metalsmith, educator, and entrepreneur with over a decade of experience in selling art through various channels. And in addition to running her jewelry line, she's a founder of Designing an MBA, which features business thinking for artists and makers and artists and profit makers in online mentorship community. She's a best-selling creative live instructor. Her designs have been featured in El Decor, Better Homes and Gardens, Cooking Light, and on top-rated blogs like Design Sponge. Her newest class, Sell Without Shame, helps artists and makers find and articulate the value in their work. Ooh, I like that. It's very fun. Yeah. Megan has been on the show before. Uh, we talked about uh, similar topics, but I want to get an update from her on... you. Know, it, it was about a year ago when she was last on, so I want to get an update on, hey, I heard there's something going on in the world. Did that affect your jewelry business? Number one. And then number two, the rest of this episode is about mindset. Few people understand and can articulate the real value for your business of uh, focusing on mindset as Megan can. So I'm obsessed with mindset because I really resisted it for a long time as like self-help hocus pocus. And then I realized I was unbelievably wrong and I would absolutely not be here without having uh, what I had called an abundance mindset, what Megan calls an investment mindset. So that's what we're going to talk about on the show today. Miss Alman, how are you doing? I am good. I actually just got back from a week of fairly socially distant camping where I didn't open my laptop for five days. It was amazing. And you didn't die? No I one died? No one died. It was no one died. My business is still here. It was amazing. It's well, it, talk about mindset. I mean, that's one of the things like you build your business, build your business. Then you have some spare cash to take a vacation and you have systems in place where you could take a vacation. And then the first thing you do is spend the whole vacation working. And that's such a mistake. Yeah, it, it really is. And actually, so it was funny as I, I like told everyone I was going away and I'm actually I was in the middle of running a class. I was like, like, guys, I'm going away. It's fine. And I didn't even try to open my laptop. The very last morning that I was there, I tried and it turned out I couldn't get the Wi-Fi to work anyway. So I was like, oh, <laughs> that was, it was meant to be the whole time. Good. No. Uh, what I do, I find alleviates the guilt is I put when I have, uh, I'm going to be like going dark on vacation. Like my wife is a Disney blogger. So when we go to Disney world, this is very serious business. Yeah. Um, so I put like for a month in advance, I put it in my email signature. Like, you know, PS, I will be 100% unavailable during this time. And then that way it's like, it's warned everybody automatically. I don't have to feel bad about it. And then an email autoresponder with like, here's other people you could talk to takes care of the rest. Super but, smart. Like, truthfully, most people's business if you have to take a five day break, no one's going to die. Like I was on Twitter with a guy who sells iPad screen protectors and he's like, Hey, going on vacation. Do you have a system that alerts you of no, of like wild KPI changes in your business? Cause I don't want to have to check my email. I said, look, either bring the laptop with and work or don't, but you sell screen protectors. Like no one's going to die if they can't hear from you about their screen protector for a few days. It's just not a big deal. And I think like part of it is we overestimate the importance of our own business, uh, understandably, but yeah, again, I, we're, we're on, you mentioned vacation and immediately we're on mindset. Exactly. Well, and I actually, so one of the things you mentioned, you know, putting it in your email signature, I started like a week or two before I would email my list, my jewelry list to say, Hey, I'm going to be gone. So if you want something, order it now, or you have to wait till I get back. I'm not shipping because I'm not going to be there. And so I think like instead of using it as like, oh no, I'm going to leave for a little bit. It's like, you know what? I'm going to use it as a, hey guys, you want the thing? Get it now or you wait. 
which I like that powerful. you turned it into urgency. Right. That's very clever. Yeah, I'm, like, so, I'm a one-woman show. If I'm not home, it's not shipping. So And you're you unapologetic about it and you're not hiding it. Yeah. I think a lot of people try to hide behind weasel words like our you know, here at Acme Corp, we strive. And it's like, there's just one of you. It's like you and a dog. What are you? Right. That's, like, one of my, what, that's what's going on. One of my biggest pet peeves, especially for artists and makers. I was like, people are, aren't buying from artists because they want to buy from a big corporation. So stop pretending that you are one. Exactly. Yes. No, it's this big <laughs> advantage that people like, especially early on, you just fight against it. And then eventually you figure out like, oh, it's, it's me they're buying from, not something else. All right. Uh, I heard, I heard there's a pandemic afoot. A little. How has this affected your business? So what's interesting is for me, it hasn't had that big of an impact because I've spent the last however many years moving the majority of my business online. So the biggest impact in my business for sure has been the wholesale side and selling to stores. So uh, that, that pretty much dove off a cliff. Um, when this started, the, the one exception is I sell through a catalog and that's those numbers have been consistent with what they've always been. Um, but so the stork thing kind of fell off a cliff. I also let it fall off a cliff if I'm being perfectly honest, because I do have lots of online ways to make money. And I know a lot of other artists and makers don't. So I was like, you know what? Other people can still, and stores are still buying because stores still need to make money. But I was kind of like, I'm going to focus on the online sides of my business right now because I have them. And so, um, my wholesale is down, but you know my teaching income is steady because people are home and they want to learn things. And it turns out that people are very happy to buy jewelry online in a pandemic because they're at home and they're bored. And they're it's retail therapy. Phone. Right, it's retail therapy. And so um, that side of my business has actually been up, at least when I pay attention to it, which is something that I think we'll talk about when we talk about investment mindset. Um, but so when I actually am I'm doing the work, that side of the business is up because people really they, they want to spend money. Like humans like to shop. I think this is something we don't talk about enough. Humans like to shop. And so if they can't go to a store, they're going to shop online. Like it's just who we are as people. It's yeah, you're right. It, it might be like an innate behavior, um, you know, of just like hunting and gathering, mm -hmm. like just as my pet rabbit can find any tunnel you didn't know you had amongst your furniture Humans want to gather stuff. We have an innate need to acquire things. Yeah. And there's like that it's self it yeah, it's self-reinforcing in that you get like a dopamine rush by making the purchase and then one by receiving it in in the mail. And then if you're uh a Instagram stories addicted nutcase like I am, uh from making a 16 second video to share the purchase with the world. Uh right. <laughs> right? So it becomes like it's very easy to in times of stress like we are now to just purchase some silly shit online. And like it got weird enough for us where like we have embraced it unashamedly and then set budgets for it. And like my wife and I talk about it. She's like, look, Halloween's around the corner. We need to uh, let's uh, let's just go crazy in Halloween decor for something to do, because as a travel blogger, she's got some free time. Um, and so we decided, like, I got an Amazon gift card. And I said, all right, this Amazon gift card is your Halloween decor budget. Go. And so, <laughs> right. And so, like, once you take the shame out of it and embrace it, but also, like, make it sane, you know, she's not just buying random, you know, four dozen pairs of leggings kind of thing. Like, no, we Halloween decor will get years out of that. And it's good for the kids. 
Yeah, uh, I, I started out yeah. by being like, I'm going to spend like I'm going to spend this pandemic spending as much money on art as I can. And like, there you go. for me, I'm a big ceramics fan. Like I have a lot of mugs and now I have all these plants and I'm like, I need planters. And um, so I was basically like, I'm going to, without shame, buy as much ceramics as my budget allows for. Um, and so like some of my friends who I've been buying a lot from, they're like, you've been buying so much. And I was like, yeah, because I decided that was part of my pandemic job. I'm just going to buy, I'm going to buy all the art and it's going to be all right. good. What's your, what is your, your dumbest pandemic purchase? Oh, um... You know, I don't actually, I feel like other than art, I haven't been buying that much. Like, my, Yeah, you can't call art purchases dumb. They're not, no, they're not. Like, they're not no. at all. So I do, I, okay, here's what I, I know, I do know what I, what I did. So I was looking to buy plants on Etsy because all my local greenhouses were closed. And so I had put a bunch of plants in my shopping cart. And then the next day I went and I was like, oh man, like all the plants that I put in my shopping cart are gone. Like someone else must have bought one. So then I was like, oh, but I really want this one plant. So I went and, and ordered that one plant and a couple other things from the store. And then I realized that the reason they weren't in my cart is because I bought them the day before. So, <laughs> so I actually bought like two of this, essentially two of the same plant. Um, so that, that was my dumb purchase because I was so excited about buying plants that I forgot that I had already bought them. There was just a, a shift overall, not necessarily a change. Like, okay, wholesale down, but not gone. and then. Uh, you know, online like DTC, Etsy, that stuff up. And as people are more interested in jewelry making or entrepreneurship, as they're they're at home and have time to do it, um, and having the extra income might add a little anxiety relief for a lot of us. Certainly, it sounds like uh, things have shifted there as well. Yeah. So, and and what's sort of ironic for me is that that was my plan all along for 2020. Like my plan was to focus on those areas of my business. And then the pandemic was just like, well, now you have to. <laughs> um, so I, I do feel really fortunate in that, um, that that hasn't shifted for me. And then it's actually, been, in a lot of ways, it's been really weird because my husband uh, works in manufacturing. He's he's the manager of the shop floor. So other than a couple of days where they were sorting out the logistics, he's been going to work the entire time. Uh, so my day to day hasn't actually changed that much other than that. I don't see people, which is a little bit sad. <laughs> uh, it's a lot bit sad, but I'm still doing the, so that's how it impacted you. How do you, has it, you think it's been similar for other jewelry makers? Uh, yes and no. So it, for those who were selling predominantly in person, so those who had really big wholesale businesses or doing a lot of shows, it's it's been tough. Like it's been a real challenge. And I see that in some of my friends who just because of the way they'd structured their businesses, um, you know, online was like a thing they'll get to eventually um, because the in-person stuff was working and suddenly all of that ground to a halt. Um, and so that's been been really hard. But then the ones that I know that have focused on the online side of their business, they're experiencing what I'm experiencing where their sales are up. Um, and of course, there's the other challenge that I'm seeing a lot, uh, which is basically like, what is your relationship for those who have kids? What's your relationship and your childcare situation? Because that has right. had a big impact. And so I know in my online mentorship program, artists and profit makers, you know, some of the people that I work with, they have school-aged children. And so they were used to being able to work on their businesses 
when the kids were at school and suddenly that went away. Whereas I have another woman in my community who, you know, she has her son's like pre-K age, but her husband works in the entertainment industry and he works on a TV show. And so that production was shut down. So her husband has been home this entire time and she's been able to like really pour herself into her online business. And so her sales are up and she's having like the best year she's ever had. But it's because her childcare situation flip-flopped. Her husband was able to take care of the kid all day and she could focus on the business. So I'm really seeing a lot. And there's a lot of like back to the mindset thing. There's been a lot of guilt that I've been seeing with artists and makers who suddenly have had to do full-time childcare. And they're like, I'm not getting stuff done in my business. I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a pandemic and your kids are home all day. Like cut yourself a little slack. Yeah. The honestly, one of the most empowering things anyone ever said to me was uh, five, uh, six years ago. Now a therapist said, Kurt, you're too hard on yourself. And I'll never forget it. I mean, it really was a very freeing thing to find out. Like oh, a lot of the things you feel bad about, guilty about, criticize yourself about that's you criticizing yourself. That's a choice. You don't actually have to do it and you can forgive yourself in much the same fashion. And it's very freeing. Like there, you don't get a lot of productivity out of beating yourself up, right? So being aware of it um, and recognizing that guilt and trying to it, it forgive yourself for it um, can be quite empowering. So for for some of these these folks in your community who are struggling, how do you help them? What do we do for them? What do they do? Yeah, I, well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head right there, which is just like, to forgive yourself. So that's, we've done a lot of mindset work this year because we need it because there's like, no one really knows how to respond, right? Like what we're doing is, is happening in the world is so different from anything we've experienced. And so like this reiteration over and over and over again of like cutting yourself some slack and reminding yourself that, you know, this too shall pass. And I think there's this feeling of like, going back to the thing about, you know, it's okay to take a break because your business is still going to be there. Like if you have to focus on taking care of your kids or a family member or something, whatever it is, yeah, in this moment, it feels like, oh my God, I've lost all momentum and whatever, but that's not, that's not true. Like you can, you can take steps back. You can take breaks. Um, you know, this was something like in a lot of ways, I feel fortunate to have fortunate, it's not the right word, but like I, a lot of the lessons that I think people are having to learn this year are lessons that I learned eight years ago when my mom died. And I, you know, so I learned how to move through grief and I learned how to, um, like how to step back from my business. And then the realization that like, I, I stepped back because I had to, because I just couldn't function. And then I came back to it and it was okay. And so I think like just talking about that, that like, you know what, sometimes life gets in the fucking way and we have to deal with that. And and it's okay because your business will be there, especially if you've put things in place, like your email list, like, okay, so you go away for a little bit, but you still have your people and they're still going to support you when you come back. And not to trivialize negative or tragic experiences, but like being able to take a vacation, walk away from business, come back and see it's still there. That's like practice mode for what if something t tragic or, uh, something big happens in your life that you can't ignore, that you have to step away from your business right? and take care of and then return to your business and find, ah, it still exists. I'm still here. Like I'm still the same person. And I find often like people are extremely understanding if you are, if you are direct and honest about personal experiences. Um, recently I had 
a occasionally like I don't know people are complicated. So occasionally we I have to have uh, we call them lovingly call them principles talk moments with clients. But like call get them on the phone and, and have a discussion and say, hey, here's what's going on with me. Like, here's how I feel right now. And whether that's because you are lagging on a project because of something you're dealing with or <laughs> um, something is in, something the client's doing is in some way impeding you. I have never, I don't think I've ever had a bad experience from just being honest and direct about my own experiences with someone else. Yeah, I think, and you know, we've reached this mode where we think like, oh, I can't, it's like on one hand, everything's supposed to be authentic, but on the other hand, like we feel like we can't be real humans with like emotions and lives. Like in, in the class that I'm running right now um, in Sell Without Shame, I had a woman who she came on and she was like, I wanted to apologize because I didn't do the homework yet because we had to put my dog down this weekend. And I was like, Oh, I was like, you're like, do you have to apologize to me? Like that, that sucks. And it's like, and, and I can say this as someone who like we had two years ago, we had to put our dog down and, and I was not prepared for how hard that would be as someone who lost a parent. I was like, wait, this is, this is, hard too. And so, but like this, just this feeling that like she paid me to take this class and felt like she had to come in and, and apologize for not doing the work in a timely fashion because she was dealing with something in her life. And it just kind of makes me wonder like, where, is this really where we were at in, in humanity? And so I think that's a big part of like the work that I've been doing with, with my people this year. And it's a shift I think we need to make is this idea that like, you are a human running your business and you can't separate those two things. So stop trying. Like let's acknowledge that we're human. Embrace it. Embrace it. That life is messy, that sometimes you have to deal with stuff. And just acknowledge that because like you said, people are are understanding if you're just honest. Yeah, they've many times uh in, in I think in most situations people have had similar experiences and can empathize and relate. Right. Um, and that's what makes it work. So, all right, we have established the importance of, of forgiving yourself, of being not so hard on yourself, especially in um, a unprecedented and bizarre time that is 2020 and really the dumpster fire that is 2020. Yeah. Oh, uh, like it is. <laughs> yes. And at the same time, also, you know, getting everything you can out of all of your unfair advantages. So maybe being trapped in your house and unable to do other things is an unfair advantage in that now you could focus on a thing that you wanted to do for yourself or your business. The So now let's move deeper into mindset. Why what when we talk about mindset, what do we mean? What do you what are you discussing? Yeah, so I I think when we're talking about mindset, like we're literally talking about the approach that you bring to your business or to your life and essentially like whether or not you're putting up roadblocks, which we don't often even realize we're putting up, right? So like, it's the way that your thought patterns impact whether or not you send the email to your list or you pitch your work to something or even like getting your website set up in the first place. So it's all just those thoughts that we have. And, and a lot of times they're so ingrained that we don't even realize that you're having them. And so we have to, we have to look at the mental stuff because this goes back to what we were just, we were just talking about. We're not robots running businesses. We're humans running businesses. And if you're a human running a business, you have to acknowledge that you have human thoughts. And some of those thoughts might actually be holding your business back. Yes, you are not purely rational software. No. Making observations 
you are really just a a cholesterol-based organic self-aware monstrosity inside a human robot suit. I mean, that's really what your brain is. And the fact that we pretend that we make rational decisions all the time is such (laughs) like a, it's such bullshit. So- that is the most insidious part, right. isn't it? I remember I was I was giving a talk once, you know, pre-pandemic days, so in a room with real people, and I was talking about the idea of selling with story and emotion, but it was at the talk was happening at a trade show, and so I remember a woman raised her hand and she was like, "Okay, so I get that if you're selling directly to customers, but if I'm if I'm selling to store buyers, she's like, "Aren't they making rational purchasing decisions?" And I just laughed. I was like, that is amazing that you think that humans make rational purchasing decisions, even if it's a B2B decision. I was like, we don't. We, you might justify a purchase rationally, but we're really not that rational. We make quick snap decisions based on lots of factors that have nothing to do with logic. And personally, I think that we're better off when we admit that instead of pretending that every decision we make is rational. Yes. Yeah. Once you embrace it, that I think that's step one. And then for me, step two, like step one was going, hmm, everything I do is not like it <laughs> is so rooted in um, just like irrational decision making as much as I'd love to view myself as a pragmatic person. You just can't help it. And so I think step like step one is accept that truth. Step two, then, is try and for me was try and become um understanding and aware of cognitive biases like the one i think we all suffer from and i know i did was recency bias i'd be like oh my business is in the toilet and really it was like well no in like 72 hours you had like a few mildly negative things happen but the previous 90 days were amazing but it's like well i mean recency bias really that's what it does to you like so that's one that i i suffer with often so what do we do with this like once we've acknowledged that we are not meaty computers but (laughs) irrational animals what's the what's step two there yeah so i think step two is to then you have to pay attention to your internal thoughts which is i know sounds super obvious but is actually not something that we're taught to do right we're like taught to suppress emotion and and not do that and a lot of people don't actually have um what's the word for like literally having that understanding of self, a lot of people- Mindfulness? Maybe mindfulness. A lot of people lack that, like that, it's it's emotional intelligence, but it's emotional intelligence ah, yes. reflected on yourself. Like, oh, I mean, a lot of people lack emotional intelligence in relationship to other people as well. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, yes. But we lack it for ourselves. And so I think part of that is literally paying attention to your inner monologue and saying like, wait, like this is this is really what I'm thinking. And then the other thing for me that I try to encourage people to do is if you have these biases, if you have these thoughts, most of the time it's not you, it's cultural programming. It's, you know, the things that come into us from our parents, from society at large, from living in, you know, a, a racist, sexist society. And so let's look at and examine where these mindsets come from, because I think sometimes it's helpful to understand that like what you're thinking, it's not actually your fault that you're thinking it. So, you know, I have, and that's where the, so it's awareness. That's where the awareness comes in is recognizing it and knowing where that's coming from. And I'll give you a good example. 
Um, and then the second part is that forgiveness where you go, okay, well, this is, you know, I was programmed to think that I'm not going to feel guilty about right. it. What, you know, what am I going to do about it instead? But all right, here's an example. I, I'm not sure if you're aware, host a podcast. <laughs> and, <laughs> and part of that podcast, I get a lot of, uh, a lot of guest applications. And I will tell you, women or men wildly outnumber women in these applications. And I've asked a lot of people about this and a, uh, a, a woman who does PR professionally even said this to me outright unprovoked. Uh, my wife's told me this, lots of folks, women are conditioned by society to not put themselves out there in general. And that's really like, it is societal conditioning that is causing, um, causing me to receive way more men application than women. So like, I generally have to reach out to um, find women or get them through warm introductions. That was like so close to being like a binders full of women moment. <laughs> well, and I think, but I think that it's true. And, and so you examine those. So another good example is there's a woman in my community who um, we worked on, like she has different types of jewelry. So she has some jewelry that's like one of a kind where she's making the whole thing herself. And then she has some jewelry where she's having a component cast. And so it's less labor on her part and actually better profit margin and personally, she loves this jewelry. It's like the jewelry she wears all the time. And, um, but like, she feels guilty for promoting it because the profit margin is higher. And I was like, okay, weird. We, right. I was like, we need to unpack all the layers of this. And so she was like, well, okay. Like, I, I think this is the mindset that comes from my parents because my parents have this belief that, you know, if you only deserve to make money if you're working hard. And I was like, okay. Well, that's really great that we understand that you got this from your parents, but like, let's unpack that further and understand that your parents got this from capitalism because this is a myth that the people who run capitalism want us to believe, right? Like the, they want the working class to feel like the only way to get ahead is to work really hard, which is a total myth because the people who succeed in capitalism are the people who don't actually work that hard. And so I was like, we have to literally look at all of these layers and understand that where your mindset starts, like that's holding you back, but let's really unpack all of the things. So like you said, you can forgive yourself. You're not a bad person because you feel guilty for making money or selling a piece that has more profit margin. You have these beliefs because there's so much more to the world. And so once you understand that, then you can let it go and you can be like, you know what? This necklace is awesome and I deserve to make money from it. And sometimes, I mean, it could even be, um, it could be religion, like Protestant mm -hmm. work ethic is famous mm -hmm. for for making feel guilty about not working hard right? right um yeah there's there's so much there but yeah like guilt about making a profit i used to do freelance coaching and they i'd say you know what you have conversations like uh kurt i want to raise my hourly rate okay what do you have to do to that like well i have to do x y and z and then no you don't nope. <laughs> you just do it why can't you just do it and they're like wait i can and so a lot of um business mindset or uh investment mindset is really just giving yourself permission. So it's like, all right, if you could recognize the bias, forgive yourself. All right. Step three then is give yourself permission to do the thing you want to do. Exactly. And I think that is, um, that's part of the challenge, especially if you're conditioned to like need, need approval or need permission. And then suddenly someone's like, no, you, you get to give yourself permission. Like you are the, actually the only one that's in charge of you. Um, and that's one of the things that I teach a lot when I teach um, wholesale. And I think we talked about this a lot in our first interview. It's like when I teach 
artists and makers how to reach out to stores and they're like, okay, well, so, so like my terms and conditions, like what should they say? And I'm like, you set the rules. They should say whatever you want them to say, because ultimately you set the rules in your own business. And that's not something we're used to hearing, right? You think like, Right. I have to play by other people's. No, you run the business. You get to set the rules. You set the policies, and and it comes down to that permission piece of until someone. It's it's sad because it's like until someone gives you permission for you to give yourself permission, you don't realize that you can. Yes. Oh, exactly. There's so you're like, well, you know, I got. It could be you're waiting for. You have all these authority figures in your life that are that you have to get permission from to do things. And, you know, first it's your parents. And then, like, unless you went to Montessori school, it's probably years of teachers. And then, like, you get your first jobs. And it's, well, I got to get permission for my boss to take a day off. And you have to unlearn all that stuff. It's insane. But, like, uh, I have several friends who sell info products, not unlike yourself. And a lot of them fully admit that, like, the real value in in purchasing an info product and going through it is like, you've raised your hand and said, I'm interested in doing X with my business. I have found a resource on how to do it. I read it. And then lo and behold, I was able to do it. Well, you were probably able to do it the whole time. It was just by reading the book, you were able to give yourself permission. Yeah, it is. I think that's totally true. And I, I like, I like to joke that like, I'm, I'm very pragmatic when I teach business, but at the same time, I'm like, my, my role in teaching business is like 50% pragmatic and 50% therapy. Cause we have to like, yes, Business right, therapy. That's really what I'm doing. And, and, and it's taken me, it took me a long time to kind of understand that. Um, but it, it is so much of what we're doing because you do, you, you get in your own way. I still even fall into that trap. Like I remember I went through a period where I, I wasn't sleeping well. And so I was going to an acupuncturist to try to help me work through that. And I was telling him, I was like, Oh, like, you know, I'm just so tired around like two o'clock every day. And like, how do I push through that? And he was like, you're self-employed, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, take a nap. He's like, <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, like I'm, a, I'm allowed to do that. And so it's funny, like how even if you're good at giving yourself permission and not listening to authority, it's so ingrained in our society that like, even sometimes I have to be like, oh, wait, I'm allowed to do that. Right. Yeah, I can, I'm allowed to do it. I give myself permission. I don't have to ask for anybody. I don't have to look for anything. I can just make the decision and take action. And I don't have to have guilt about it. So if I can get that far, the which, you know, for me, that probably, uh, I probably didn't figure that out until like three, four years ago, truthfully, like really truthfully adopted it. Hold up. Let's take a quick break to dispel a common myth. Shopify can help you restore things you've deleted or accidentally changed. Untrue. It can't. Myth busted. Shopify has no backups, none that are accessible to you in the event of a disaster anyway. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, you use Rewind. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone rogue. It's a must-have for your store's contingency plan. Trusted by over 25,000 businesses, from side hustles to the biggest plus stores like Movement, Gatorade, and Magnolia, Rewind is your very own magic undo button. Check it out at Rewind.io or search Rewind in the Shopify app store. And when you do install Rewind, respond to any of their welcome emails and mention the unofficial Shopify podcast to get your first month absolutely free. That's Rewind.io. Get it. And now back to the show. For you, 
you've I know you, you mentioned investment mindset. How do you how does investment mindset apply to your business? Yeah, so I think that for me, the idea of investment mindset was like ingrained in my business pretty early. So actually, I should I'm gonna backtrack. It was ingrained in me well before I ever started my business. So um, my dad owns a machine shop that was founded by my grandfather, and in my dad took it over probably when I was very, very young. And so he basically went from my grandfather was like old school machinist with a lathe and like everything was handwritten in his little ledger. Like I found it. It was so cool. I was like, Oh my God, like this is like the notes from when my grandfather started his business in the forties. It was oh, amazing. Love it. Um, but so then my dad was like, okay, well, if machining is going to survive, we have to update to, you know, CNC and computer and all of those things. And so he made big investments in the business. And so I remember when I was a kid, one time my mom was like, yeah, I have to go into the bank today to meet your dad so we can sign a loan on a half a million dollar machine. And like that was <laughs> right. And so that was the environment I grew up in where like I understood that it takes money and effort. My, my dad worked a lot too. It takes money and effort to run a business or to start a business or to in my dad's case, very much overhaul the nature of a business. And so I, I grew up understanding that, which like, oh, I feel so lucky to have grown up in that environment because that takes a lot of baggage out right there. But then I remember early in my business, I wanted to do, um, I was already doing the New York gift show as a, as a trade show, but I wanted to move into a different section with this bigger booth. And so I got in and I got my contract and the booth was $10,000. Now, for anyone who's thinking about doing a trade show, just for the record, they don't all cost that much money. But in this particular case, the booth fee was $10,000. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do about that. So I, call, I remember I called my dad and I'll be totally honest, I was really just hoping he was going to lend me $10,000. Like I just thought if I was like, hey, I need $10,000. He would be like, okay. So I called him and I was like, I need $10,000 to do this show. I was like, what do I do? And he was like, you call the bank and you ask for a loan. And I was like, Oh, right. Like that's what businesses do. And like in hindsight, obviously I'm so glad that he didn't just give me $10,000 because the lesson was so much better of like, oh right, like this sometimes these are things that you have to do to to move your business forward. And I think that in this age of like the internet and you know, not to throw like Chris Gilbo under the bus or anything, but like the $100 startup and all of these things, we think that Oh yeah, like I just I can start a business for free and it's just going to magically work. And even on the internet where yes, things are not as expensive as a $10,000 trade show booth, that's still not the case. You still have to make an investment. You, yes, it's a hard thing to accept, but that's the case. Right. Like if you're just if you're not in the position to do it yet, you're not in the position right. to do it yet. Like just don't forcing it. You're just going to struggle um and spin your wheels. So what is there a framework you use to make these big financial decisions. Like I realized the, the safety net, the security of having a line of credit, a, uh, keep mm -hmm. a, a personal line of credit unused, a business line of credit unused, because should I need to weather some cash flow issue? I can't, right. um, but I could that. So that's why I have it for me. It's just, I'm extremely risk averse. And for me, that it, it's an additional safety net. However, most people would use those loans to uh, they would leverage that debt and invest in themselves, right? I've not done that. How? <laughs> let's say, like, how do you approach these these big financial decisions? Like, I could build a team of ten people in a month if I if I really wanted to, and I've chosen not to, uh, partly because it scares the shit out of me. So, what 
How do you make these financial decisions? So for me, the way that I've always made them, and again, this is where, you know, I started when I started my business, it was like, 06, 07. So like Etsy was a thing, but it was like just barely a thing. So for me, starting my business meant like doing craft shows, doing art fairs, doing trade shows. Um, But the metric that I've always used in making investments is like, is this putting me in the space of a revenue generating activity? So like if I spend this money, is this something where I am not guaranteed to make money back? Because as we know, that's, that's not the case. But is it likely to make me money back? Um, And then is it, I think that's one thing. And then the second thing is like, is it going to put me in front of an audience that I could not have reached on my own? And so those are like the two factors. So like now, um, you know, like this is a good example. I do a lot of podcasts because I pay someone to pitch podcasts for me. Um, I am I am the opposite, I think, of a a lot of women where I'm like, uh, this is an opportunity and I want to do it. But I also don't, I don't have time. I don't have any more time. So I pay someone to do it for me. And that's bit now it happens to be the person I pay. And her company is a very good friend of mine. So that helps. But at the end of the day, I'm like, this is, this is putting me in front of an audience that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And that's so like those two things is, is there potential for revenue? And, and is this putting me in front of an audience that I wouldn't have had otherwise? Those are really the two factors for me. And so if you look at like any time I've invested in things in my business, whether that's doing, you know, retail craft shows, whether that's doing a trade show, whether that's paying someone to pitch podcasts for me, they usually fit in those two metrics. The uh, So it sounds like when you're making these decisions, you're asking yourself, is this an investment or an expense? And that's really not a thing I started consciously doing in that sense until um, like the last year. And so you look at like investment or expense. Oh, I could buy, a, you know, I could spend three grand on a really, really specked out laptop. And eh, that's expense. Right. Like it's not an investment. Hiring, putting someone on retainer to just book you on podcasts to expand your audience and get you backlinks and good PR. That's an investment. Yeah. So you're saying, all right, if I have a plan for this and I have reasonable confidence that this could work, then why would I, and I have access to the money. Uh, and there's a a, re, uh, a clear return on investment path here. Why would I not make that jump? Exactly. And I think that investment versus expense, that's such a that's such a good way to do it. And if we go back to the example of my dad, you know, buying a half a million dollar machine, that's that same metric, right? You don't buy a half a million dollar machine because it sounds like fun. You buy a half a million dollar machine because that's going to enable you to take on more work which will then generate more revenue. So that's that's not an expense, it's an investment. And so I think that, I've never put it that way, but I think that's such a, a smart way to put it. And and so I think that's the way I look at things. And because of that, I don't spend, I know, good call there. Um, I don't spend money on some of the things that like other people do. Like I do, now part of this is like fun. Like I do all my own photography for my site, for my jewelry. I also do it because it's I personally like photography. And as you and I discussed before we jumped on live, I love photography gear. Like that's just a, a thing that I love. Um, but for me, it was always like, I would always rather figure out ways to invest. They're going to put me in revenue generating opportunities rather than like trying to do, I think people spend money to like polish and make perfect. So they're like, oh, oh. I have to, I have to have my website perfect before I can promote. No, figure out. And it turns out that's like one of the, as a web designer, it pains me to admit it, but 
it's one of the least important things as far as revenue generating activities go. It's icing on the cake. It's like obsessing over the book cover instead of right. the book. Right. And so, and like, yes, you do, you know what I mean? Like, especially to sell online and especially to sell art, like you do have to, your photography has to be good. It ha you know, it has to do all those things. But like, I've had lots of shitty versions of my website that have still made me <laughs> money. And, and I think that's the other thing. If we're going to talk about an investment mindset, it's this idea of like, figuring out how to, again, drive revenue and put yourself in front of an audience, even if you don't feel ready, or especially if you don't feel ready. Like when I, every time I've done a trade show, so when I first did um, New, York, New York Gift Fair, before I had the $10,000 booth, I had like a $2,500 booth. And they, I applied to the show thinking it was going to take me a while to get in and I would have time. And they called me in November and they said, hey, we have a booth in January for this new jewelry design, like for a new jewelry designer, do you want it? And I said, yes. And then I hung up the phone. And I was like, oh shit, what did I just do? Like, <laughs> now I have like three months to get ready. And it was super stressful. But if I had waited until I was like, quote unquote, ready to do a trade show, you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now because I wouldn't have a business. Like, I think that is the most important thing when it comes to like mindset is that you have to just do things and you have to do things before you feel ready and you have to do things before they are perfect because guess what? Nothing's ever going to be perfect. Like your website this like is always a work in progress. <laughs> always and forever. It's a work, of, like everything about your business is always and forever a work in progress. And so once you understand that, then you're like, okay, well then what's my job? My job is to figure out how to make money. <laughs> and the way that I'm going to figure out how to make money is to say, this is what I'm selling and here's who I'm selling it to. And I'm going to do my best to, in all the ways possible, get my work in front of those people. Oh, that's the, that's the drop, right? That's the mindset. Yep. I love it. Uh, yeah. It, it's embracing that it will always be imperfect and you will always be improving it. And if it, if you're like, get to a point in your business where you like, look at the last two, three years and go, this nailed it all set. Uh, you're not advancing. That's a red flag in itself. You should look back on what you did two, three years ago and go, oh, God. Right. right? You should be getting better and constantly improving. Like, I'm getting to the point where I, I got I think I want to redo our websites. Uh, if I listen to episodes of this podcast prior to, say, like 2019, uh, I find many, a lot of it just cringeworthy, right? Because I've gotten better at it with, with experience and skill. The, all right, we could, I, I, we could do another 20, 30 minutes easy. And, you know, and I would, but I've got another meeting. I got to get on in 10 minutes. All right. So quickly, one of the smart things you've done, and you touched on it at the start of the episode, was you don't have a single income source in your business. I do the same thing. I think it's really smart to do because, as I've established, I'm risk-averse. Risk so you can, just as you would diversify your portfolio, given the opportunity, your business it's your business's income sources are like that portfolio. You can diversify them. Run me through quickly all the ways that your business can generate revenue. Oh, yeah. So, so first of all, I do want to say what's funny is that I have all those different ways of doing revenue and it's not because I'm risk averse. I am actually like, I'm, I'm risk averse in certain things, but in business, I'm not at all, which probably again comes from like, oh, we have to go buy a half million dollar machine. Like, so I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine. Like I'll figure it out. Um, for me, it's this, feeling of like, I just, I, I always want to do all the things. And so it's a, it's a natural inclination to want to be like, okay, well I get, when I get bored, this is actually what it comes down to. When I get bored, I like that I have the ability to focus on a different area. Um, and so oh. for me, 
um, all the areas that I have that I can generate revenue. So I sell my jewelry online through my online shop, um, which is built on Shopify. So I sell there. Um, I do wholesale my jewelry. So I sell to stores and I also sell through um, a catalog and a website called Artful Home, which has been a super awesome relationship. Um, Because again, revenue generating puts me in front of people. Um, And then in my kind of the the info side of my business and the designing and MBA side, I have my mentorship community. Um, So that's something that I run that's like recurring monthly revenue, which super nice to to have that. I'm not going to lie. And then I have my classes, which are not a purely passive product because I am a very hands-on teacher as evidenced by the fact that I'm like, it's 50% teaching and 50% therapy. Um, So I'm like super hands-on. So, and then I do have a few passive products. So I have my ebook um, and a few kind of older digital products that I sell. And then I also have um, all my classes that I ran on creative live, which are kind of awesome because they people still take them. They're still good, though. A few of them, like you said, looking back in your old work, I'm like, ooh, that one's like six yeah, they years to, old. I'm like, they start to age. Yeah. Well, I did a Pinterest one. This is all just I did a Pinterest one on there, which is like it filmed in 2014. Pinterest is very, very different now. So that one, I'm like, ooh, don't like, don't don't buy that one anymore. Um, so so I have those, but that still also generates revenue for me. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that, and, and I do one-on-one coaching from time to time. I don't do a lot of it because I try to, I try to actually funnel people into my mentorship program because it's a much better use of their money. Um, but I do that as well. So I have all, all kinds of things that I do. I know the answer to this question, <laughs> but do you like everything you do? I do because I have worked very hard to eliminate the things that I don't. So I think that's like the final piece of mindset maybe that we need to talk about, which is that like you're allowed to love your business and you're allowed to love every part of it. And if you don't love it, you either cut it out or you pay someone else to do it for you. And I think that's something that like I spend a lot of time being like, is what I'm doing today making me happy? That's that's not a question that we think about asking ourselves, but I think it's so important in building your business. And so like I started out doing outdoor craft shows and I was like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. <laughs> and so my, my mindset was like, there's got to be a better way to make a living. So anytime that I don't love something, I figure out either like, can I get paid way more for it? That's, that's also a trick that I use, right? Like just up the price a lot. Cause it's, you know, if you're making jewelry and you don't, and you're like, mm, I don't really love this line. I'm like, well, would I love it more if I was getting paid a lot more. And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. So if the answer is yes, I jack up the price. If the answer is no, I cut, cut those designs from my line. Um, but I spend just, I spend a lot of time focusing on like, am I doing things that make me happy? And if they don't, I cut them even if they make me money. Yes. And I, so I think that's the, the final important piece is look at what you're good at. You want the overlap of like, these are things I'm good at and things I like to do. Yeah. Those are things you should own in your business everything that doesn't fall into that overlap in in the Venn diagram, can you get rid of it? Can you outsource it? Can you get paid enough for it to make the pain worthwhile? But whatever you do, the thing that will make you resent your business and procrastinate is banging your head against the stuff, doing things that you don't like, that you're not good at, don't pay well. Just it again, like it's your business. Uh, Do what you want with it. As long as you know it's moral, moral and ethical, like just do what you want, um, and things will go much more smoothly. It seems like obvious advice, but I think we've all done things that we were like, you shouldn't have said yes to that, right? And when um, I tell people like your business is allowed to make you happy, they're like, what? 
<laughs> really? It's yeah. that thing. But but we're also we're so ingrained to this idea that like work is supposed to make you miserable. Oh. Right. And I, and again, Insidious. this is where I'm so fortunate to have grown up in an environment where I remember my dad, like he worked all the time, but he also like he really likes to work because he was really passionate about what he did. And like I know a lot of people are like, oh, like passionate about machining, but he was and so or he is. And so I think like no, they've clearly never met an engineer. Right. Of I get excited about like a water jet right. machine. Like, oh, I love those, oh, yeah. those CNC oh, yeah. machines. I, my, fun. That's the thing is like you you are allowed to love your work, but we live in a culture that tells us that you can't. So like you, if you went from working in a job or even being in school that you didn't love, and now you're like, well, my, my business is kind of making me miserable, but like that's how work's supposed to be, right? No, no. it's not. <laughs> like figure out how to make what makes you happy in your business? And yes, it also needs to make you money in order to have a business. But if it's not making you happy, it's not worth the money. Absolutely. And I think the the final piece is if you're like early in your business and you're going, well, it's easy for them to say they have survivorship bias, right? We have survived right. to the other side. I've been doing this 11 years now. Um, keep figure out what you want to do, what you have to do to get there, but just keep showing up for two years. It will probably take you about two years to get traction in most businesses. So that's my my final my final piece of advice is like you know, we've painted a very positive picture, but it's going to take yeah. work. You got to put in the time, and there's just there really is not a, a way for around. sure. And I like to tell people like I had fairly early business success, like within a couple of years, but I also spent seven years in school studying metalsmithing and developing my line before I launched my business. So. Like you have to take everybody's like quick success stories with a grain of salt because somewhere usually behind it is a lot of hard work and probably a lot, of, not a lot of money in the beginning. Megan, where could people go to get more of your wonderful So advice? they can go to, if you're specifically interested in, in the business things, you can go to designinganmba.com um, where you can find lots, lots and lots of blog posts. I'm I'm a writer at the end of the day. It took me a long time to acknowledge that, but like, I really do love to write. So lots of blog posts, access to all of my classes. Um, and then you can also go to meganalman.com where you will find my jewelry. You'll be able to get to my online store. Uh, you can also find my classes there because I'm, I'm not dumb. <laughs> so you can find them everywhere. Um, and then if you want to engage with me on social media, I am begrudgingly still an Instagram person and you can find me at meganalman there. I will include all of these in the show notes. Megan, thank you for doing this. It has been... Yeah, thank you so much for having me. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.